0: The only advantage of practicing ego or practicing ending fear that I love is it's a sport that you can play your whole life and you actually can get better when you're 100 than when you were
1: 25. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. I am just so excited to be able to welcome our guest. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. And he has just a small life's mission. His life's mission is to empower over 1 billion people, that's billion with a B, people to be happy. I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, he's the three-time international best-selling author, a top 100 business coach. He's an executive producer of Entrepreneur's number one digital business show, Elevator Pitch. You want to tune into that. Host of a top podcast, The Playbook for Entrepreneurs. And his latest book, Game Time Decision Making, was a number one release as well. He's been recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor and i'm sure that just scratches the surface of all the things we could say but then we would have played through all of our time david sir. <laughs> thank you so much for being here today it is such a pleasure to have you on leadership without losing your soul
0: oh i love the title i love the show and i can't wait to dig in
1: well let's get to it david i ask every guest who who joins us what is your earliest memory of being a leader
0: that's a great question my earliest memory of being a leader is probably in football, uh, in Pop Warner football when I was seven. And it was actually, I pitched, I was quarterback. That was, you know, when you're little, is the kid that ran the fastest, not the one that threw the best. <laughs> and I pitched the ball in a championship game the wrong way. And the other team scored and won. We lost the championship. And I think it's the first time, because I had to take accountability uh, that that I was a leader. I wasn't afraid yeah, you know, to, I, I disappointed myself. I, I was very upset with myself, but I took accountability. Everybody else, you know, I took the blame and and I realized at that point that leaders were accountable.
1: Wow, David, that is, you know, talk to so many folks and, and you get those childhood memories. That might be the first time I've heard of the recognition that you've got to take accountability and responsibility for the things that don't go right as your earliest leadership moment.
0: Yeah, well, my mom's a big below the line person. So two things, my mom, she was a single mom, raised six kids, extraordinary woman, still my mentor on how to raise kids because five of her kids uh, were summa cum laude at Ivy League schools and this extraordinary mom. But two things, she would always not let me come down with the wrong attitude. So she would call it the attitude adjustment, the gratitude attitude adjustment. If I came down with a negative perspective and we grew up poor, you know, she'd send me to my room and say, you come back down here when you see things the right way. I have older siblings as well, but she would always say, you're below the line. Blame, shame, and justification. You're accountable for what you do. You're accountable. You ask yourself what you're supposed to learn from it, but take accountability. And I was the king of selling and overselling. So that was the first time I stood up and took accountability. Maybe I was forced to because it was quite obvious. <laughs> but that's the first leadership uh, I remember I had.
1: Wow. Well, what great leadership instruction you had from an early age. I love that. And that continues to be such good leadership instruction for every one of us at any age, doesn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. And it made a big change later on in life when I lost
1: those values as well. Hmm. Well, tell us more about that. What was that journey like for you?
0: Yeah, you know, I I grew up with those six kids and I I attach money to my happiness. You know, I'm a big happiness person. You talked about my mission is happiness. And it, it was a journey of, uh, not only thinking that money buys happiness, but buys love because I have an ap- happiness gene. I was trained to be happy by my mom, but I would catch her crying because of financial stress. Uh, and it broke my heart, right? Cause my mom worked so hard, two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag with the rest of my siblings, never complained that I had a deadbeat dad that was rich, that wasn't paying any child support. And I'm in the backseat of the car saying, how come you can't be more like dad? She never said anything, uh, you know, so I, you know, for me, I wanted to be rich. I I literally, my siblings wanted to be great students. I wanted to be a good student to be rich so I could buy my mom a house and a car so everything in my life would be happy. And what happened was, all of my journey was, you know, from playing football in college so I could be rich being a professional player, but then I wasn't good enough. I got ran over my first year by Christian Okoye. I wanted to be a doctor to be rich, and then my brother told me that doctors had to be in hospitals, and I ate at hospitals, so he's like, you got to be more interested than interesting. Then I want to be a lawyer. My mom had a saying, doctor, lawyer, or failure, so I, I wanted to be a lawyer now, and only to be rich. In fact, I reverse engineered the law school I went to to be rich because I looked up what lawyers got paid the most money and it was oil and gas litigators. So I went to the top law school for oil and gas litigators, Tulane University. Uh, and then I switched, I graduated law school, I switched job professions because I get offered $250,000 a year to sell legal research, a comp plan, you know, a selling job, not in the law, but selling legal research online. Uh, and every step away, money buys love, money buys, I'm a millionaire nine months out of law school, buy my mom a house and a car, Become her favorite child in my mind. Everyone loves me. I become a multimillionaire going to the Sand Hill Road, you know, Silicon Valley, become CEO of the first smartphone by 30. I marry my dream girl from the fourth grade who hated me when I was little. Now she loves me. All the things I did, money buys love, money buys happiness. And I end up in a place working for Lee Steinberg, like you said, the most notable sports agency in the world. And my wife tells me she's not happy. I'm 36 years old. And I'm looking around so mad at her. I'm about to literally, I'm like, how dare you? What do you mean you're not happy? Now, meanwhile, I had lied to her. I was drunk. I came home at 5.30 in the morning from the Grammy Awards with a rapper named Little John. And my I would lost all these values, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and my ability to effectively communicate with the truth. And I was mad at her. I was blaming her. No accountability. I was literally the next morning looking at divorce lawyers, how I could turn into my dad and take all my money and everything to get a divorce lawyer. And I end up looking in the closet. My dad had given me one gift in 30 years. When I was 30 years old, he gave me a sport coat. And once again, I was not in the right mindset. I was pissed at him because he tore out all the lining and I thought he was punishing me. And I asked him, why would you give me a jacket with no lining, you know, and he said, because, I I want to remind you every day that money can't buy love and happiness, that you're just like me and you need to look at that jacket. You're not gonna take anything with you when you're gone. You're not gonna be the richest man in the cemetery. You don't need to be like me. And I told him, I'm nothing like you. So fast forward six years when I'm 36, I'm looking in my closet and I hadn't seen that jacket somehow, just like a book on a shelf calling at you. That jacket called to me. And I was about to call my friend, You know, become a divorcee, probably ruined my life and that jacket called out to me fool you're a fool you're just like your dad i get choked up still cuz that's that's the moment that all of those values that my mom kept preaching teaching pressing me guilting me you know she she taught by jewish guilt if anybody can recognize that but forgive i had to forgive myself i had to be accountable i had to be gracious and i had to live that inspired life that kid that must be what he can be and my whole life changed and i went Those are the things I've practiced every day for the last 13 years that have allowed me to truly live my mission to empower others, to empower others to be happy.
1: Wow, what a story and powerful transformation. And we're gonna dive a little bit more into how you have worked that out and what that looks like. And you've uh, tapped into a couple of things there with regard to, I think, lessons that are helpful for leaders in every aspect of life. And I wanna ask you your perspective, You know, the title of the show is uh, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. When you see leaders losing their soul or when you felt that experience yourself, what does that look like? Why does that happen? What is it to lose your soul as a leader?
0: You know, to lose your soul as a leader, and and I was, that's exactly what happened. In fact, I love this show, not only for the purpose of it, but that you dig down to the pragmatic level. And so pragmatically, it's not taking inventory of your values, trying to please people that you don't even like, buy things you don't even need. Uh, living in a, in a lost journey. Uh, and here's the way I best explain it pragmatically. There's three worlds. There's a world of not enough. And that world you're a victim in. Everything's happening to you. And I don't care how much you have. I have friends that own $40 million homes that live in a not enough world. And they're victims. Everything You have a need to be offended. I wish the need to be fed could be fed as easily as the need to be offended right? You have a need to be offended. Mm. I promise you it'll be fed all the time for mm. you. You know, you. I wish I could feed the hungry as easily, but that need exists in the world of not enough. Then there's the second world that I lived in, the world of just enough, right? I was a multimillionaire. I had, you know, golf course, ski mountain, 33 homes alone, everything you could ever dream of. And I lived in a world of just enough, just enough for me. I was very filled. Uh, and everything was trading, you know, talk about pragmatic. Everything was tied to guilt or some attachment, even my philanthropy. I was extremely generous, but I wanted recognition or I wanted gratitude or I want you know I wanted something. There's always some sort of condition or judgment tied to my giving. And it was just a world for me. And I thought I was an optimist. I thought I was living the right life. Um, and that's the world that I see a lot of people get lose their soul in. They start surrounding themselves with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. They start buying things to make them happy, then buying more things to make them happy, then buying different things to make them happy, and you lose your soul, you lose your values. When I started living in the world of more than enough, this abundant world where everything didn't happen to me as a victim or for me to be filled, but through me to be fulfilled, meaning I'm always connected to this great source of everything, And it's my job to take it in without interference of my ego or corrosion of my ego and appreciate it. Not only being grateful, but add value to it. I'm my own part of the whole. I have a certain extraordinary value, my own frequency, and I need to add that to, to come through me. And my purpose is to give it away. I'm not a big why person, right? I think everyone knows their why. Their why is to help somebody or something. They don't know their what, and they're too afraid to say I want this. And it's for this purpose. I want, what is it I want? And it's for this purpose. And when you can get excited, even during this compressed time of uncertainty and accelerated change, people feel guilty. You know, I do a lot of executive coaching. I feel bad. My, my company's doing well. I say, hold on a second. You cannot be poor enough to make somebody rich, but you can be rich enough to make somebody rich. It's a guaranteed math. So get excited about getting rich so it can come through you. My tagline is make a lot of money so you can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Everything comes through me for others.
1: I was looking into you. One of the things that intrigued me, David, was you talked about the way that ego gets in a leader's way. And honestly, when I saw, I was watching one of your videos and I saw that line and I heard you say those words and I said, I've got to have this guy on the show. (laughs) because I wanted to hear more about that. You've obviously spent a lot of time thinking and reflecting about this. And so when you're thinking about leaders in any capacity, what is it, how does ego get in their way and how does it prevent them from leading effectively?
0: Well, ego puts your mind, body and soul on fire. I'm going to tell a quick story to give an example of how your life changes as a leader. And my most important leadership is as a father. That's my legacy that I'm a leader for, and that's very important to me. I wake up at 4 a.m. every day and meditate for 20 minutes to find my highest frequency so I have a baseline to know my highest frequency. I do not want to live the myth of Sisyphus. I don't just push the boulder up all day long today so it's at the bottom of the hill tomorrow. I plateau and grow as a leader. I wake up every morning, meditate 20 minutes, get ready, and I work out. Number one priority in my life, minimum one hour on my health. Every day, I can't give what I don't have. If I'm not taking care of myself, I can't take care of others. I wake up. I'm now going to the gym at 4:30 on a Saturday. I go outside. My 17-year-old daughter's car is missing. I immediately sulfur. I lose it. I, I go into ego-based consciousness. I'm about to pick up my phone and call her and go, "Where the f are you?" How, how, you know, screaming like a maniac, which I'd done as a young father, losing my temper. Instead. I said, my mind, body, and soul is on fire. I'm in ego-based consciousness. I'm extremely pissed. I stopped. I breathe through my nose, out through my mouth. This I find my center, right? And I ask myself, why do I feel this way? I say, well, I'm, I'm, ang- I'm not angry. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that one of the most important people in my life, in which I'm responsible for, something has happened to. And I'm terrified. I get choked up, and I think, oh, now my energy and my mindset is in that soul from this that you're talking i'm a leader now i'm a compassionate capitalist i'm i'm thinking from the highest frequency out of compassion and so i call now my daughter and i say where are you i'm in bed oh thank goodness where's your car it's at the grocery store oh why well kids were drinking and you told me dad if kids were drinking that i should uber home and never get in the car with alcohol or with anyone with alcohol. And I said, Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. I'll go get the car, car later. Okay. Go back to sleep. Oh, I love you, daddy. Now, why that's a leadership issue for me because most leaders, including me would have called and said, blame. Where the F are you? I'm in my bed. Why are you yelling at me? I'm yelling. Where's your car? It's at the growth Why? Well, kids were drinking. You were drinking. I know you were drinking. Well, uh, uh, I didn't want to drive home. You told me to get an Uber. Well, why are you drinking? Why? I'm going to take your car and you're in trouble. She's going to cry and say, F you and hang up on me. Tell all her friends, create more resistance. And worse, the next time the kids are drinking, what's she going to do? She's going to get into that car. And my whole life could change. And she's not going to tell you. No. And my whole life could change. In fact, I could manifest my greatest fear. What I resist? Would persist. I would have... Increase the statistical chance that what I was most afraid of would have happened. That is an exact example of where the ego gets in our way as a leader.
1: And so when you translate that to the level of, you know, a manager who's showing up for their team every day, and it's so easy to take things personally, but, you know, I often say no one woke up thinking about how to tick you off that morning. Like <laughs> you're, you're not the center of anyone else's universe, except maybe your dog. You know, and so no one woke up that way, but we tend to personalize those things, don't we?
0: Absolutely. We have a need to be offended, a need to be guilty, a need to be resentful. You know, all of these needs of the ego are there, and I practice identifying them one and then reacting by stopping, dropping by breathing, and rolling in the right direction. When I start putting myself, and it's not sympathy, right? Sympathy is walking. And so I believe empathy is much deeper. For me, I go to understanding. And so I immediately go to questioning. Maybe it's the lawyer in me, open ended and close ended questions. Why do you feel that way? Right? I, I really want to empathize. I think in politics, a lot of times that the two Republicans and Democrats are so close in their vision, but they're not asking why they feel a certain way about a certain thing to understand, oh, I can see that now. Okay, so that's how you're basing your decision. Instead, they're separating managers and, and, and line workers, and they do this all the time. They just assume right, and they categorize and they define with judgments and conditions immediately, instead of just asking one certain question, I always ask, why do you feel that way, right, why do you feel that way, and anything I can do to help or provide service, and if there is still incongruency, right, which can occur, there's no direct connect on the understanding, then the best course of action is to pray for their happiness, so because some people are just angry, some people it's just a bad day, Right. And there's no rationality to it. And so the best way to dissolve or dissipate or relieve that is to pray for their happiness. Happiness. One particle of light overcomes a million particles of darkness. When you pray, when you have no attacking thoughts of someone, you're impossible to attack. So when people say, I really appreciate your vulnerability, Dave, you know, you get choked up, you tell the truth, you illuminate all your failures and these touching things. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Vulnerability. This is my invulnerability. You know, you can't attack me. What are you gonna say? I lost everything. I was an idiot. I already told
1: you that. (laughs) (laughs) You you just, you got, you're just dropping so many wisdom bobs here. I want to go back and like highlight a couple of these. Like, so that, let's start with the stop, drop and roll. The stop part, and I think this is so important. You know, we can kind of easily understand the, well, I I gotta drop and I gotta roll in the right direction and so forth. But the stop part and identifying the emotion that's so important and so powerful like and you demonstrate it with the situation with your daughter but you know you've got a a a team leader who's ticked off about that the results didn't get there the thing didn't get in what somebody didn't do what they thought they were gonna whatever it was to stop and identify how they're feeling and we don't talk about that you don't get that in, in business and you're getting mba training about how am i feeling with regard to what's going on right now so that i can do something about it so What advice do you have to help people tap in and figure out what are they feeling so they can then do the rest of the stop, drop, and roll?
0: I think for everything to understand practice, and I'm a sports person, so I've seen practice how the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind create acceleration, growth, and success. I practice it. So the number one way to practice is you got to be able to identify it. So I'm consistently making a list and I can reel them off so quickly now because they're so innate in myself of the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, depressed, right? All these different things so that I'm practicing, but it started with, okay, what's the number one? I I had a terrible need to be offended, right? I, I, I mean with my siblings, with my mom, it came from a great ego that somehow I deserved whatever it was. And I see managers and directors and executives, they all have this great need to be offended. And just picking out one to start and practicing, anytime I have a need to be offended, stop, drop, and roll. Because you got to start somewhere. And then you can pick up the second one, need to be resentful, or need to be inferior, or need to be superior, or separate, or angry, or anxious, or frustrated or guilty. These are all needs of the ego and you just knock them off. Just like you were playing golf and you know, I'm going to start by learning putting, right? So back, it's the same to me as sports. You're going to get better by practicing every day. The only advantage of practicing ego or practicing ending fear that I love is it's a sport that you can play your whole life and you actually can get better when you're a hundred than when you were 25. You know, it's the only sport that you're better at 100 than at 25. So it makes it fun to practice because there's unlimited potential.
1: We're never going to decline in that ability, are we? No. As long (laughs) as we're practicing. Yeah. As long as we're practicing. So the other thing that you said there uh, a moment ago about when there's a lack of understanding. So you start by asking the team member, you know, how are you feeling about this? And what is going on here for you and so forth? And many times that will lead to resolution and mutual understanding and, and a way forward but the times that it doesn't you can still act out of a positive motivation and positive energy i, I often say I, in my own career i never wanted to fire someone out of anger i wanted to wait until i could love them and fire them because i loved them and that was the best thing to help them move forward so for you how have you found that process of when you're having that conversation how do you move to a place of you you said pray for them and and the the particle of light and so forth how do you how do you make that transition
0: yeah and it comes from once again discipline of being able to not react Um, which is interesting for me because i believe in the context of my entire day i get one action and everything else is a reaction to that first action so i want my first action of higher frequency that's why i go right to meditation when i wake up i want to have a highest frequency as my first action then everything else will react to it and i'll know the only way that i can deal with that is if i am not at center and i don't and it's a practice to know where center is or neutral is you know the russell wilson's of the world will talk about neutrality and work with trevor moad and he's a neutrality coach and people don't understand the highs and the lows. But when you understand that it's okay to tell someone, let me think about this, right? I'm right, And it's, it's a great line that I've used. Most difficult with your wife, if, if you're married out there, uh, when they're very upset with you and you're, you're probably at fault <laughs> and you're not seeing it um, because they wanna talk it immediately out with you. Easier with employees because you do have the ability to say, let me think about that. And then when you get to the place of love, to the truth, then you can make a very pragmatic business decision and say, I don't think this is the best situation for either of us. Let me try to help you find a better situation within or without of this organization. Does that sound fair? I have those lines to say, but when someone stole money from me and I sat there and I bent over backwards to give them the job and you know, I, I very much, it's a challenge to wait and be able to say, look, you know, desperate people do bad things. Nobody's as bad as they say they are. No one's as good. You know, pragmatically, I have to get rid of this person. They stole from me. But I want to make the best decision for both of us. And I am a forgiving person. I want them to be accountable. And let me figure this out. But screaming at them and being offended and resentful is not going to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we do choose that course, it's easy for them to put the focus on what a jerk we're being, even if It was warranted in quotes. Yeah. David, let's talk about your book, Game Time Decision Making. Um, High scoring business strategies from the biggest names in sports. So you've got a number of different approaches here to help leaders make great decisions in the moment. And, uh, you know, your promise at the beginning of the book is to be able to make those decisions in, in a moment with clarity, balance and focus. And so I'm curious, what prompted, what was the story behind why you wrote this specific book? You've written several. So why this one? So this one is about happiness,
0: Um, making the right decisions, allow people to have the right perspective, allow them to be happy, to live in this world of abundance, the world of more than enough. So because I had so much exposure and and relationships with the biggest names in sports, to have a Tillman Fertitta write the forward and the stories of Tom Brady and Lou Holtz and others, Um, What I did is I said, why don't I take the 10 happiness lessons, happiness decisions, when we make the right decisions of abundance, and why don't I tell kind of the pregame analysis of of the lesson and then tell sports stories to teach the lesson, right? Lessons and stories. And then give a postgame analysis to each of those lessons. It's not what I say, it's what they hear. And a lot of times what happens is we develop so many different skills and can articulate things in a very high complex frequency we lose our ability to communicate because the 87 percent the teammates don't understand that and i learned that through sports agentry that sometimes the average education was an eighth grade education and if I, i was talking about coalescing the vapors of human existence that wasn't going to really affect their life it was going to make them feel inferior so i wanted to bring down the language and the stories to a mass level sports is the number one language of the world Uh, it unifies us and so that was the premise of my book um initiating my journey i have this mission of over a billion people to be happy mathematically once again i connect the dots backwards that if i have a thousand people like you that can empower a thousand people to empower a thousand people thousand times a thousands a million million times a thousands a billion i got about 60 more or so years left on this earth to do that the numbers make sense in fact when i go through the math with people and they know my personality and my lessons very few people would think it's as crazy as it sounds when they first hear that they when like my family first heard what are you doing now like you really think you can change the world and create a collective consciousness with over a billion people? And then I said, Yeah, it's just a thousand people away from me. And I got a lifetime to do it. And I break down the math. It doesn't seem, you know, especially now with the reach that I have in the brand that I built, that far outside of the scope or scale of a lifetime mission. And if somebody would have told me when I was 30 years old, a multimillionaire, a CEO of you know, Samsung's phone division oh, you know, Dave Meltzer's legacy is going to be changing the world into a happy one, an abundant one, more than enough. They would have put me in a straitjacket, right? If I told them that's what I wanted to do, now somehow it's believable and
1: achievable. I was going to say, if, if I, I, I'm not a wagering kind of guy, but if I did make a bet, I'd be betting on a billion plus.
0: Don't limit ourselves, right?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, and we're, hey, we're all part of that work. Everyone listening right now you're on that mission with David and this David, you got, you got David squared here. So we're going to multiply that and multiply you and get out there. You're part of that. David, in, in the book, one of the chapters I enjoyed was don't trip on the first down chains behind you. Tell us a little bit about that concept. What are you talking about there?
0: I think so many people cannot let go of the past. And the reason is, is they don't look into the lessons of the past. Uh, They victimize themselves by the past. They create a habit of the past, which is a thermostat or a temperature that they're going to set their life to because of circumstances that were presented for them to grow, uh, for them to strengthen. And instead, they weaken and shrink from the learning zone into a comfort zone because they're afraid of several different things. So I want people to realize that when you have pain, uh, it's just a... Uh, awareness that you have a lesson to learn, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, and financial pain. All of them are just the universe telling you, hey, there's something for you to learn. This is a, a, a big light for you. This here, let's let's figure this out together. And when you figure it out, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and financial pain, whatever one it is, it'll go away. But what happens is people stub their toe on their bed, and then they decide. You know my solution is going to be I'm mad I'm going to go stub my other toe, <laughs> and they trip over these chains behind them. There's enough to challenge you in front of you, and you cannot change the past. You can only learn from it. You can just hear me out. There's no way on God's green earth that you can change the past, but you can learn from it. And I study history because I study one thing about history: human nature, and it never changes. So go ahead. Don't stumble on the roadblocks behind you, the hay the markers behind you. Just, you can get from San Diego to Maine looking three feet in front of you at night with a little bit of light. So keep your eyes where you wanna be. I always tell uh, race car drivers, don't look at the wall, right? When you're black, cause you're gonna hit the wall. It's the same as looking behind. Look at the road where you wanna be and do what it takes.
1: Your body goes where your eyes are looking. For sure. When it comes to making these game time decisions and in the moment, the clarity, the focus, and and making the best decisions you can, we don't want to get hung up on the past. we got to keep our eyes looking at where we're going. Uh, What are other one or two other uh, key takeaways that you'd recommend that, you know, every leader take a look at as they're trying to make these kind of decisions?
0: You know, I have a five-step process that makes it easy. I'll go real quickly. Do an inventory of your value and don't be afraid to be a hypocrite. Look every day at your personal experiential giving and receiving values don't have to balance them each day. Sometimes it can be 90% giving, 90% experiential. It doesn't matter. Don't be afraid to be a hypocrite. If I told you that I'm still living by the values when I was 20, you won't want to be around me. I, mean, right? no, I would not be inspiring anyone. I change. So number one, know your values. It'll allow you to make the decisions quickly because you know your values. If it's not with your values, you're not going to do it. Two, ask for help, radical humility. So ask a series of questions of how you can be of service or value and ask the sponsors and power sponsors, which is everyone, do you know anyone that can help me? Very simple. Three, be a student of your calendar. Studying your calendar means pay attention to, plus intention to the coincidences you want in three areas of your calendar every day. What you have planned, what you don't have planned, the white space or empty space, and your sleep. Easiest piece of advice, if you're gonna take away from here as a leader is, Very simply, say thank you, drink a gallon of water, and sleep eight hours, you'll be fine. But be a student of your calendar if you can take it to the next level. The fourth one's really interesting, I love it, it's do it now, Uh, as a leader. What makes a leader is someone that gets stuff done. 100% of the things get done if you do it now, and if you can't do it now, then create a repository, a list, a folder, something that you can put in your calendar the next day and prioritize by what's most important. And then finally, we spend a majority of the time talking about practicing any fear. So those five things, know your value, ask and attract, suit in your calendar, do it now, and practicing any fear. If you put those five things into place, you will be not only a leader, but a leader of leaders.
1: I hope that everyone stops what they're doing, rewinds the show. I don't know, but You only have to go back about five minutes. Get a pen or pencil. Get your phone. However, you take notes and take notes on those five things, David. That was very powerful. And uh, speaking from my own experience of them, I know I'm just you've made me think about my own life and so many of of the ways that these clarify things and and allow you to to have the influence that you want to have in the world. Uh, and you've been able to say that in a really succinct, powerful way. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Great to be here. When I was in, we're talking about sports today, obviously, with your background. When I was in second grade, my parents enrolled me in youth soccer. And so I didn't play the, the, the football, I played the soccer, right? And I had a coach who was going down the line my first day of practice. And he said, his name was Tom, Coach Tom. And he's asking us what position we wanted to play. And I thought that I was smart because I really didn't, I was not athletic. I didn't want to run. I said, uh, goalie. I thought goalies don't have to be athletic. They just stand there all day. And so I got to play goalie for a couple games and until I realized, and the coach realized that's not going to work. And he put me in a defender position where I didn't have to run as fast as the offense and so on. And, and I still wasn't, wasn't doing it right. And I wasn't taking the right angle and everything. And finally, he sits me down after a game. He says, David, listen, I just need you to take the angle on the – I said, hey, coach, I know, I know. And he looked at me and to this day I still remember, it. David, I don't care – what you know. I care what you do with what you know. That it was to your point, being a leader is about taking action and it's the things that you take action on. So from your perspective, David, whether from an early lesson in sports or or your childhood or, you know, of the many books that you've written, when you're thinking about a leader being as effective as possible, what is the number one thing that they need to take action on?
0: Kindness. I think at its core, it's the hardest decision that we make. When no one's looking, when you've been wrong, when your ego, to be kind, like right? To be kind, not only to yourself, but to your future self. And when I say be kind to your future self, it's doing the right things, the kind things and taking the humble position. I, kind leaders last forever. Look, look in history who the kindest people are. Uh, these are the, the true leaders, because in kindness, you find the truth, and the truth vibrates the fastest. As you vibrate faster, you can be aware of more things. I was with Deepak Chopra last week, online, of course, <laughs> and I asked him for like his number one nugget, and it was so cool, because he said, don't take yourself so gosh darn seriously, right, and that's where kindness lies, it's so easy to be kind if you don't take yourself seriously. It's so easy to allow things to come through you and appreciate them and give them to others. Uh, whether they've wronged you or you know done anything, it's just such a great experience. And I think for me, that was the quantum shift in my life 13 years ago, that I wasn't in a competition anymore that it wasn't inferior or superior. I wasn't separate. It was simply my objective of just being as kind as I could created a void for the universe to fill. And the universe was so much more accurate and, and effective than I was as a person overselling, back-end selling, manipulating, lying and cheating and promising and you know, resistance-based life. When I could allow kindness to take its place, to be in the flow, That to me is the epitome of humility. I know that's this behind you right there. Confidence and humility are through kindness. And it is one of the most difficult things to be, especially when your ego is talking to you and the inner voices of not enough and just enough are there for you. But a kind person will only, you're the chief betterment officer, especially now I tell people, best business decision I ever made as a leader. I hired a truly did, a chief betterment officer, entire jobs to walk around talking to everyone and looking at everything from the toilet paper to the water to every employee just asking, what are you doing? How can I make it better? We're looking to see systems, softwares, telephone, everything better, the margins that were created. And when I got put into this quarantine, I said, you know what? Best employee I have is my chief betterment officer. That's what I'm gonna become for Dave Meltzer's life, my chief betterment officer. I'm gonna look to see how I can make everything better during this time. And kindness, once again,
1: at top of the list. Oh, I love that so much. I, A, I needed to hear that. The, the message of start with kindness, but it's be kind to yourself first. Wow. I don't know if anybody else that listens into this one needed that, but I sure did, David, so thank you. I needed it too, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I always say when I
0: coach people, it's so great, because I'm like, why don't you do that, Dave? That was good advice.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, that's why we all need a coach, right? It's hard to coach yourself. So, uh, David, tell us, uh, everybody listening, where can they go to find out more about you?
0: Absolutely. Uh, David at dmeltzer.com. Dmeltzer.com is my website at David Meltzer all over the place YouTube LinkedIn Instagram the biggest thing for me is I do a free trainings I give free books I give free courses free training guides I Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. 2 p.m. Eastern time. I'm creating my collective consciousness through a weekly training. I've done it for over 20 years in person, but it's really taken off now that I had to go to digital. So there's been a huge blessing for me. Uh, so please, everybody is free. I don't sell anyone. I My biggest comment I get at the end is like, man, I thought this was going to be some hook and story. You didn't ask for anything at the end, except for get my friends to come next time. That's all I want. More people, a better collective consciousness. Cool enough, we're talking about ego this Friday. So uh, it should be a good training.
1: Perfect, awesome. All right, so I will put all of those links also in the show notes for this. David, thank you once again. That has been just a tremendous, uh, I don't know, it seems like five minutes. I know it's been longer than that, but it has been such, such a blessing having you on the show. Thank you so much.
0: Well, you are a true man of our namesake. David means beloved. So thank you for being so beloved. I appreciate you, David.